Tonight's reading is Psalm 29, and you can find this on page 558 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and all in his temple cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Father, thank you that you, as we've already prayed, are a speaking God. So please speak into our hearts and minds by your spirit now as we mull over these words of scripture. Amen. I just don't have the strength to go on. Don't worry, I'm not saying that right now. Um, But maybe that's something you've said or someone you know uh, that you've heard them say. I've actually said it quite a few times lately. Sam and I, um, we've been getting up early or carving out a slot in the middle of the day to go out for a run. Um, or trying to, at least. We're using that app. For, you, you might have used it before. The Couch to 5K. Have you used that? Come across that? Um, and we've been really fortunate so far. Uh, often it's been amazing weather, clear blue skies. What could possibly go wrong? Um, but after about five minutes, and Denise Richards is telling me that I'm running too slowly, I'm on the verge of collapse, I'm gasping for air, thinking, I just don't have the strength to go on. And the most humiliating part, uh, while I'm huffing and puffing and I'm red in the face and my, the sweat's stinging as it runs down into my eyes, is rounding a corner and bumping into Caroline Aves, who sat on the bench in War Memorial Park, um, who... Fortunately, it was gracious enough not to sort of laugh at me, um, which is very kind. Um, and I should point out as well, Sam was doing much, much better than I was. I just don't have the strength to go on. Mark Zuckerberg, uh, you, you know, the, the Facebook meta guy, um, he, he founded Facebook, he owns Instagram, WhatsApp, and um, what, what's, what's the new one again that nobody likes? What's that called? Threads. Threads, yes, exactly. Thanks, Neil. Um, he's obviously just a brilliant individual. Um, but you might know already, um, whether you've watched the film about him or, or otherwise, he actually dropped out of Harvard before he graduated. But rather surprisingly, a few, a few years back, they invited him back um, to give a graduation speech. Well, I mean, perhaps it's not surprising. He is the 10th richest man in the world or something like that. He's worth $105 billion. So I guess they had an eye on his cash, if we're being honest. But he finished his speech by saying these words... He said, before you walk out of those gates for one last time, as we sit in front of Memorial Church today, he said, I'm reminded of a prayer. A prayer that I say whenever I face a challenge, that I sing to my daughter, thinking about her future when I tuck her into bed. And it goes like this. May the source of strength who blessed the ones before us 
Help us to find courage to make our lives a blessing. Now, I've no idea if Mark Zuckerberg means those words as a genuine prayer or simply as, as a good thoughts. But it is a good thought to end a graduation speech on, isn't it? Because as you go through the rest of your life, as you, if you begin that new step, you're going to need to find strength from somewhere to live life. Life is a challenge. And actually, to give Mark Zuckerberg credit, um, most graduation speeches or, or the, the, uh, the speeches you get from the winner of the latest reality TV show or whatever kind of speech it is, they tend to be absolute nonsense, if we're being honest. Because the truth is, despite what those speeches often say, um, you can't do anything you set your mind to. You can't be whatever you want to be. Um, you aren't the last best hope for planet Earth. You shouldn't always follow your dreams. Uh, that would probably be a disastrous thing to do. You can't always believe in yourself. That's definitely a disastrous thing to do. And you shouldn't expect uh, life's most meaningful gifts to come through unchecked self-expression. You know, that sort of voice that goes, you're amazing. Follow your dreams. Never give up. That's the kind of advice we often hear, isn't it? It's it, floating around. But life is it's just a bit tougher than that. Things don't always work out the way we want. And what we need, what, what we need is the strength to be able to face the inevitable challenges that come our way. But where does that strength come from? The totally tragic events that have been pressed across the news this week from Lucy Letby's trial, it's just been deeply distressing to see, hasn't it? You know, you, you want to weep with those who weep. Um, the representative of the Crown Prosecution Service, a, a lady called Pascal Jones, said a few days ago, she said, my thoughts remain with the families of the victims who have demonstrated enormous strength in the face of extraordinary suffering. And she's right. Tough times need to be met with strength. But we don't always know where we're going to find that strength from. I, I just don't know how I'm going to find the strength to go on. I imagine that's a feeling that many grieving hearts up in Chester are experiencing this Sunday evening. Do you remember that poem by Rudyard Kipling? If you can keep your head about uh, when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about and don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If. The poem goes on like that, doesn't it? We, we, I'm sure we all know it a little bit. And the key word of that poem is if, all the way through, again and again. And that is the question, isn't it? If you can do those things. But yeah, where do I get the strength from to do those things? To live like that in adversity? And there'll be struggles here the, this evening, because there's, there's always struggles here at St. Mary's, aren't there? Struggles with people, struggles with jobs, struggles to do the right thing we know is the right thing, struggles with suffering, struggles with relationships, struggles with loneliness, with grief, struggles with exam results, uncertainty over what the future holds, struggles with kids, struggles with holiness, struggles with 
serving, struggles to love, struggles to keep going, to just keep going, to endure. With all those struggles, where do you get the strength to meet them, to face them? Well, David wrote Psalm 29 to encourage us in exactly this area. Look at how it ends down in verse 11. The Lord gives strength. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Apostle Paul prayed for his friends, for the church in Colossae, that uh, possibly he may have heard of, but never even actually met them. Um, He prays that they would be able to keep going in the Christian life. And he knew that they needed God's help to do that. So one of his prayers, Colossians chapter 1, he prayed that God would strengthen them with all God's power according to his glorious might. And Psalm 29 is here to help us pray, to encourage us to pray that kind of a prayer, to encourage us to look to God who is gloriously powerful, to look to him to give us the strength that we need. And the thing is, if we forget this, if we forget that God is gloriously powerful, then we won't look to him for strength. We'll fall instead for that, that modern day um, that Monday lie uh, that we should somehow look for strength inside ourselves to look within. And David says, don't do that. Don't do that. David says, listen to me, it's the Lord who gives strength to his people. And he can do that because he is a God of great power and majesty. So do you see that? Verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. And David says, listen, listen, the angels get that. Nature, the storm, we're going to see in a minute, um, proclaims that reality. So really, the, the psalm asks, how about you? God is the God of glorious power and might. The angels get it. The storm proclaims it. How about you? Let's look at it like that, this psalm. So first of all, the angels get it. The angels get that the Lord is gloriously powerful. That's who David is talking to in verses 1 and 2, in case you wondered. So he says, verse 1, ascribe, he's talking to the angels, ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe just means give. Um, So he's saying, you angels, you know what your job is in life. It's to give God the credit for who he really is. It is to sing his praises, what he's really like. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. And glory is a funny word, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a funny kind of word. It's, it's hard to define. But I think it's, it's one of those words where someone, you know, so someone asks you, what does glory mean? And you go, uh, not quite sure. But I know when to say it. I know when to use the word. So thousands of Man United fans got on the train home to London yesterday evening saying, we won! We won! It was glorious! Yeah? Um, that's sort of the right context. It's kind of the right context to use it. Um, we all had a wonderful time playing uh, games outside at Holiday Club early on this week because the weather was glorious. Glorious days earlier this week, wasn't it? Um, I got up early, early this morning, and was fortunate to see the sunrise. Uh, it was glorious as I flung open the curtains and tried to sort of bring myself into this world in a sort of conscious way. But it was 
glorious. And God is a glorious God. That word glorious is the word for something spectacular or a display of beauty or splendor or skill or majesty or victory or strength. And the Bible says that the whole earth is full of his glory. Well, what does that mean? It means that everywhere you look, you can see the amazing creative hand of God. The world is a display of God's glory, his strength and his power. You can see it everywhere. So I don't know, are you a David Attenborough fan or a fan of those sort of nature programs? Um, They've been on telly for as long as I can remember, at least. Um, I've grown up watching various uh, David Attenborough series. And they're just utterly brilliant programs, aren't they? You know, the, the photography is breathtaking. You can't watch one of those programs without just being blown away as Attenborough's wax is lyrical about uh, what you can see in the natural world. But have you noticed in them, uh, there's never, ever any mention of God. And the thing is, we're so used to God being excluded from the conversation that it doesn't even strike us as odd when we, we sit through a program and his name doesn't come up. Odd that the maker shouldn't even get a mention It's not odd, it's it's actually outrageous when you think about it. My folks, they're on holiday at the moment. Um, We had a week with them. uh, Me, Sam, and my sister's family uh, joined them. But at the moment, they're on holiday by themselves. And I'm preparing myself, because often um, uh, when they're on holiday alone, they start messaging me uh, photos of them traipsing around art galleries and, uh, you know, sort of sending me pictures of paintings and sculptures, that kind of thing. And you look at them and you go, oh, that's good. Who's that by? And when we see the sunset or the stars, that's the question that should be on our lips. Who's that by? You see the brilliant painting? That's extraordinary. Who painted that? We should ask the same question when we see the world around us. Who's that by? It's glorious. Whose glory? God's, of course. David says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And that's what the angels get. They see it. They get it. They know it's his. The glory that the world proclaims. And he doesn't just call them angels here, does he? That's why it's a little bit puzzling when you first read. Who who is it he's talking to? He calls them mighty ones. And what would it be like to meet one of these mighty angels? Well, actually, we know exactly what it would be like to meet an angel, because People often meet angels in the scriptures, don't they? And whenever someone meets one, they're terrified. They fall flat on their faces. Glorious, powerful creatures, mighty ones. And yet, what do these mighty ones do in the presence of God? They ascribe glory and might and strength to him. You think we're mighty? It's you, O God, who is the God of glory and power. They get it. And if they get it, if such mighty creatures get it, do you see that at the end of verse 9, David wants us, feeble creatures, to say the same thing that those mighty ones themselves say. Do you see in verse 9, all in his temple cry, glory. The same things the angels say. That's the aim of this psalm, to get us to say what the angels are doing. To get us to do what the angels are doing. Saying, God, you are glorious. You are powerful. 
We see it all throughout the world. God is gloriously powerful. The angels get it. Secondly, the storm proclaims it. Because that's what's going on in verses 3 to 9. Uh, King David gives us uh, this bit of the psalm, verses 3 to 9. It's like King David's own version of one of those Attenborough nature programs. So we'll call him King David Attenborough at this point, okay? Sorry. Um, And you have to read this sort of part of the psalm with that kind of Attenborough voiceover. I was going to try an impression, but I'm not confident enough now I'm in front of you. Um, So just imagine it like that. And if this were an Attenborough episode, this one would be called the storm. Because David, he describes a Middle Eastern thunderstorm just here. So if you know it, or or if you flip back in your Bibles to Psalm 8, you're meant to read Psalm 8 by moonlight. The words of Psalm 8, when I consider the moon and the stars which you've set in place. Read Psalm 8 by moonlight. Or Psalm 19. You're supposed to read Psalm 19 by sunlight. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So read Psalm 19 out in the sunshine this week, assuming the weather permits so. But Psalm 29, Psalm 29, you're supposed to read by, I'm not quite sure what you call it, but lightning light is how you're supposed to read Psalm 29 by, lightning light, okay? Read it as the lightning flashes. Read it in the storm. Because that's, that's what's going on here. It's a description of a storm. It's poetry. It took me a little while to, to cotton on to that as I was reading it this week. That's what's going on here in these verses. But what he's doing, he's describing the progress of a storm. And he describes it sort of bubbling up over the waters. That is, over the sea, over the Mediterranean. Over the waters, he says, and the storm comes inland, over Lebanon, over Mount Syrian. And then he describes it turning southwards, to, that is, towards the wilderness of Kadesh. We're not very clear on the geography here, are we? But that's what this storm is doing. It comes from the sea, over the mountains, down through the country. He describes its progress, and he describes its power. He mentions, verse 3, the thunder. Verse 7, the flashes of lightning. Verse 8, the ground shakes. Verse 9, the huge trees get broken and split by the lightning, and so on. Have you been out in a big storm? Um, Lots of you know that I I come from Plymouth originally. Um, And a few years back, there was a massive storm. If we could have the photo up, is it? Oh, great, thank you. Um, A massive storm that battered the seafront there. Uh, It was in the winter, and the waves were so strong that the hotels down there on the seafront, they they got an absolute battering. And uh, the waterfront pub got washed out. And there's a Seaview Chinese restaurant that you can just make out in this picture, uh, the sign. And it's called the Wet Walk. It became the really wet walk. Um, but I love a storm. I love a storm. And I used to actually live about two minutes' walk from the water. Uh, so I walked up uh, to what's called Plymouth Hoe, the seafront there. And you could feel the spray in your face, you're, even while you're quite a long way from, from the water, as, as the waves crashed there. And I actually read the paper the next day, and they, they'd actually been advising people not to go down to the hoe, um, safety or something. But you can't resist it, can you? There's something terrifyingly attractive about watching such power at work. Because the power of a full-on storm is full-on terrifying. And you know, when a lightning bolt strikes, the lightning peaks at a trillion watts. I don't even know what a trillion is, but it sounds a lot. And then the surface temperature of lightning, I'm not quite sure what surface temperature means in relation to lightning, but the surface temperature is 20 
1,000 degrees centigrade, which apparently is three times as hot as the surface of the sun. It's extraordinary. It's power. That's raw power you see in a storm. And what David helps us to remember is that the storm is God's storm. How does he do that here? He says that that deep and terrifying explosion of thunder is God's thunder. It is, as it were, the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. It's his creation. It's his world. It's his thunder. It's his. The angels get it. The storm proclaims it. God is powerful and mighty. How about you? Do you see how this psalm goes? It goes from heaven to earth to you. It goes from mighty angels who acknowledge God's glorious power to the mighty storm that proclaims that glorious power to us, God's people, who, well, what do we do? Verse 9. All in the temple cry, glory. So I've got two questions for you. See? Do you say that? Do you think that way? And, second question, if you do, how do you say that? Do you say it? How do you say it? So, do you say it? I mean, when you see the splendor and glory that is there in the world, or of the storm in particular, for example, here, do you recognize it as a display of God's glory and power? Say to yourself, God's glory is on display here, you know? Glory. I gather there was a spectacular lightning storm um, just slightly down the road, a bit south and east to us here. Did anyone get caught up in that this week at all? No, it passed us by, really, didn't it? Um, I, I was unaware of it until I read something on the news later. But if you saw that, or think back to the last time you saw a storm, did you say, glory, how mighty is our God? Because it's, it's good to get into the habit of seeing things like that, seeing the world, and saying, I know. I know who made that. And he is glorious. He is mighty. He is powerful. And when you do, when you see it, um, when you say glory or something, how do you say it? Because you get the feeling here in verse 9, it's said with a sense of wonder and awe in worship. But you could just as easily say it with fear, couldn't you? When you see the power in the natural world that there is. Lightning is terrifying. How much more terrifying, therefore, is the God who created the lightning? Okay? It belongs to him. Imagine, what could that kind of God, with that kind of power, do to me? Well, we don't have to imagine, because verse 10 reminds us. Look at it, verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Do you know, there's only one uh, other place in the whole of the Bible where that word flood appears, and you can probably guess where it is. It's right back near the beginning, Genesis chapters 6 to 9, and the account of Noah and the flood. And do you remember what God said? Genesis 6 verse 12, here we are. 
God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways, so that God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. And can we honestly say that we're any better than they were? God's power in truth ought to be terrifyingly frightening to us. Do you remember that that story of, of Jesus in a boat with his disciples? And as they were in the boat, a storm blew up. Do you remember the story? If you did Holiday Club this week, I hope you remember that story because we did it. Um, as the winds, the winds blew and the waves sort of went whoosh and the rain sort of did all this. This, this is why we had a dedicated drama team at Holiday Club, and not just me. Um, but the disciples, they, they were seasoned fishermen, and yet they were terrified of the storm. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care what's happening to us? And Jesus said, why are you afraid? And he stood up and he said to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And everything was calm. And the disciples asked themselves the question, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. And it says they were afraid. Not of the storm anymore. Afraid of him. Who wouldn't be with that kind of power? And yet, of course, fear of Jesus in that that sort of terrified sense is not the tone of the rest of the New Testament, is it? They didn't carry on being afraid of him despite his mighty power. And the turning point of, of that for them was at the cross of Jesus Christ, when this mighty one, quiet, be still, and it was quiet, that mighty one hung on the cross and died for our sins. They looked at the cross and they knew that as sinners, they were safe with Jesus. God's power was power for them, to forgive them, not power against them, to crush them. And that's why the people in the temple could say glory with a sense of wonder and worship rather than with a sense of fear, which is, which is the way that pagans looked at the, have often looked at the natural world and wondered, I wonder if this is a bad omen for me. The Christian never thinks like that. The Christian thinks glory, my God, is a God of great power and might. And I know because of Christ, his might is for me, not against me. Do you know that? David wants us to know that. To know that the Lord gives strength to his people. And David, he's speaking out of personal experience here, just to finish off. The Psalms leading up to Psalm 29, they're full of trouble and strife. David struggling with this, that, and the other, and asking questions like, what should I do? Where should I look to find strength for the struggle? And Psalm 29 is the answer to that question. The angels get it. The storm proclaims it. God is gloriously powerful. And he gives strength to his people. But as I say, there'll be all sorts of, all kinds of struggles in our lives here this evening. Struggles with people, struggles with relationships, struggles with jobs, struggles with health, struggles with suffering, struggles with grief, 
struggles with kids, with holiness, struggles to share the gospel, struggles to serve, struggles to love, struggles, I don't know, to keep going. And there may be various wise things you need to do, various sources of help, various ways to cope. But one thing you've got to do, one thing you've got to do is turn to the Lord. Because the Lord gives strength to his people. Given who he is and what he's like, let's be a people who ask him for it. That's the one thing I want you to take away this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we're sorry for how slow we are to recognise your glory, even though it's all over the whole of your world that you have made. Thank you for storms and how they show us and remind us of your strength and might. Thank you for the angels who get that, who praise you in your presence. Thank you for the storm which proclaims it. Help us to get it. Help us to proclaim it to you. Help us to turn to you when we're in the thick of any kind of struggle to find strength in the God of the storm. Thank you that your power is for us, not against us. Thank you that we know that fully and finally because of what Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection. We pray for storms in the next few weeks. Help us to remember and to give you glory. We pray that we'd be driven to find our strength in you and nowhere else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.